Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship this morning. So we've been in a series that we're calling Comfort and Joy, and we've been talking about this. We live in an uncomfortable world. Our lives are filled with all sorts of discomfort, and therefore inside all of us is a longing to find that comfort in an uncomfortable world. And we see that show up in our desire for things like comfortable sweaters and cozy fireplaces, but we also long for it in deeper ways as well. And we've been acknowledging the fact that for thousands of years, God has been revealing himself to his people as the one and only source of true and deep comfort in life. And we've been seeking that by learning some practices together. First, we've been practicing stillness with things like the breath prayer we just engaged in together. Stillness is not, uh, it's not a weak or passive thing, which often our busy world thinks of it as, but rather stillness and silence are powerful weapons to combat this noisy and chaotic world we live in. When we do encounter God's presence through the practice of stillness, we'll often find that God is going to invite us to a second practice, one that is really countercultural in a world that is so often uh, self-focused and self-aggrandizing. That's the practice of confession, where we stop trying to pretend like we have everything together and we finally admit we're not good enough so that God's goodness can be enough for us and in us. And that practice of stillness and confession will lead us to desire not to a good in our lives that only fades away like so much in this corrupt world we live in, but rather to participate in something that will last. And so we join God in building his kingdom with the knowledge that everything we do to join God in building his kingdom will endure forever. And all of those things provide some of the greatest comfort you can imagine in life, the only source of true and lasting comfort. Well, today we're going to wrap that series up by talking about the second part of the title, and we're going to talk about the way that comfort leads to joy. And it leads to joy by inviting us to change our mindset and to, again, look at some rather countercultural ways about living our lives in this world. So I want to talk one more time about comfort, and here's the memory I'm going to ask you to try and recall, sort of play through the film reel of your life, and here's what I'd ask you to remember. When was the last time you were on the receiving end of comfort? When was a time that somebody else comforted you in a really significant way? The memory that came to my mind actually wasn't that recent. It was about 10 years ago. Uh, My oldest son, Tobiah, had just been born uh, a few months ago. My wife and I were living in China, but at this time, we were at a conference in Thailand. And while we were in Thailand, we both got horribly ill, so ill that both Mickin and I had to be hospitalized for a couple of days. Well, you can imagine, the illness itself was uncomfortable enough, but on top of that, we had a very young child, our first son, that we had to figure out how to care for. This was not the circumstances we wanted to be in. But some friends of ours, a family called the Pakovich family, they just rose to the occasion. Their oldest daughter, Isabel, she immediately said, don't worry, I will take care of Tobiah. I'll bring him to the hospital so mom can feed him. I'll stay with him all the rest of the time. I will take care of Tobiah. 
And then mom and dad, Mike and Ann, they said, we're going to coordinate transportation from you. We're going to coordinate meals for you. We're going to bring you things from your hotel room. When you get out of the hospital, we're going to get you back home to the hotel room. This family, when we were in a significant time of suffering, and let me tell you, this was probably the most ill I've ever been in my life, and it was not pretty. I'm going to leave it there. I'm not going to go into the details. It was not pretty. But in this time of great suffering, this family went above and beyond to provide us comfort. Can you think of a time like that in your life? If so, let me ask you, how did that feel? I'll tell you how it felt for me. It felt amazing. Even though my circumstances were miserable, experiencing the love and compassion and kindness and comfort of these people was an amazing gift. It was joy. It was warmth. It was everything you would hope from a relationship. Hold on to that feeling. Hold on to your memory of what it feels like to be on the receiving end of comfort because we're going to come back to that later. Over the past three weeks, we've been talking about this one idea. The reason we talk about comfort is because God loves to comfort his people. We've explored that primarily by looking at a book that was written thousands of years ago. It's in the Old Testament of our Christian Bible. It's called the book of Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah talks about God's desire for his people. And Isaiah shares how God desires to comfort his people. Just like my friends comforted me when I was sick, when God's people are suffering, God desires to provide comfort for his people. Well, it turns out that this message God has been giving to his people for thousands of years proves true time and time again. So much so that today we're not going to look at the Old Testament book of Isaiah anymore, but rather we're going to go a few hundred years forward and we're going to look at a New Testament author who was writing not long after Jesus himself had lived and walked on the earth. And this author, it's a man named Paul, uh, is writing to a group of Jesus followers, an early church, in the ancient Greek city of Corinth. Paul had an ongoing relationship with the church in Corinth, and he's writing a letter to encourage them to persevere in a difficult season in their life. And the way Paul opens up his letter, the letter that we call 2 Corinthians, gives us an incredible connection to this Old Testament understanding of the God of comfort with the New Testament understanding given us from Jesus himself, God, here on earth with us. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you, uh, open it now to the book of 2 Corinthians. We're in chapter 1, and we're reading verses 3 and 4. Hear the words of Paul to the church in Corinth. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Let me ask you something. Would you acknowledge that you've been living in the past few days, weeks, months, you've been living in a pretty uncomfortable season? Well, you know what? I've got some really good news for you. Paul has some good news in a hard 
season. Here's the good news. God is a God of comfort. This was true thousands of years ago when God spoke to the people of Israel through the prophets. This was true thousands of years ago when God came to be on earth through his son, Jesus Christ. And this is true today for you and me as well. And here's how I want to spend the rest of our time together. We've been talking about the fact that God desires to comfort his people. But today I want to answer this question. Why? Why can I believe? Why can I trust? Why would I ever imagine that God would want to comfort me? Do we have any reason to think that the God who created all of the universe, all of the world, all humanity actually wants to comfort me today? Why is it that we believe God is a God of comfort? And I'm going to look at three reasons that I believe God comforts his people. Three reasons that you can trust if you seek God's presence, you will find him and you will find comfort. And as we explore these reasons, we're going to find out how that comfort naturally leads as well to our joy. So here's the three reasons in short. First, because he loves us. We know that God comforts us because he loves us. Second, because he loves others. And third, because he wants you to find joy. These are the three reasons that we find God, uh, reasons why God comforts us that come both from the words of Paul as well as from the teaching of Isaiah in the Old Testament and from the words of Jesus himself, the one whose message Paul based everything he wrote. So let's look at each of those in turn. The first reason we can trust that God wants to comfort us because he loves us. And here's the thing. God is love. That's a message that one of Jesus's closest friends, one of his disciples, one of the people that he taught, a man named John. John wrote those words famously in his gospel. He said, God is love. And if God is love, then we know that God loves all of his people. God loves all creation. And people naturally comfort those they love. I mean, just the other day, my youngest son, Asa, who is big for his age, he's only two pounds lighter than his big sister, who's two and a half years older than him. Asa decks his big sister and knocks her over on the ground, and she's crying, and she's hurting, and she runs to me. And do you know what I do? When my daughter runs to me because she's hurting, do you know what I do? I pick her up and I hug her and I comfort her. Why? Because I love her and people naturally, obviously, inevitably comfort those they love. So because we know that God is love and therefore God loves his people, he loves all his creation, for that reason we know that God will Give us comfort when we come to him. You can trust that if you practice stillness to push out the distraction of our life and experience God's presence always with you in this moment, you will find in God's presence the comfort of a loving Heavenly Father. Here's the second reason. Because he loves others. 
This one's not quite as straightforward, but think about it. If God loves all people and God wants to comfort all people, but some people actively run away from God, turn from God, resist God's presence, well, we know that God's not just going to give up on all those people. God wants his comfort to be spread to everybody. One of the things we've talked about in the past few weeks is that God always chooses to accomplish his purposes in partnership in cooperation with his people. And so we know that God comforts his people out of his love so that they will comfort others. We saw that in the words of Paul, right in the center, this critical phrase, so that. God is the God of all compassion and all comfort, and he comforts you because he loves you, and so that. His comfort might extend out to others whom he loves as well. But here's the thing. If we're going to live our lives this way, taking what we receive from God and abundantly giving it to others, there is a mindset that is present and often infectious in our world that we need to actively resist if we're going to live our lives this way. It's a mindset I see in my own heart and mind often. I bet you've seen it as well. Here's the way the mindset goes. I look at my life. And I look at the energy and the resource that I have available. And then I look at the world and I look at the pain or the need or the hurt. And I say, there's no way that I could possibly do any good considering the overwhelming need around me. People often call this a scarcity mindset. And a scarcity mindset will choke opportunity. A scarcity mindset will put an end to generosity before it even starts. A scarcity mindset will limit the things God does through your life because with a scarcity mindset, you stop yourself before you've even tried. I mean, think about it. I bet you've seen this at work. Think about a time you've been in a meeting or sitting around a table with colleagues or maybe even planning a family vacation or sitting around any group talking about What are we going to do in the future? What's a problem we're going to solve or a plan we're going to make? And so often when we're sitting in these groups, people default to, well, we don't have the resources for that. Or, well, this person doesn't know how to do it. Or, well, last time we tried it, it fell apart. Or, well, I just happen to know that nobody's going to be interested in that. Have you ever been around a table like that? Where the scarcity mindset infects everybody's opinions and you don't even try to get something done because you end it before it even starts. That scarcity mindset can choke our lives of faith as well. And so if we're going to love others the way that God loves us, if we're going to comfort others with the comfort God gives us, we need a shift in mindset. We need to reject a scarcity mindset and learn instead That comforting others requires an abundance mindset. An abundance mindset says, I'm not going to look at my limitations to determine what's possible, but rather I'm going to look at God's abundance and I'm going to let God's abundance give me a vision of what is possible. And you and I both know that when people see the possibility made, made, uh, put in front of them, by the God who is abundantly able to do more than we can imagine, you know what happens? More than we can imagine comes true. 
Not because we could or couldn't imagine it, but because we're looking at the abundance of God, not the limitations of ourselves. What kind of mindset do you have when you think about the work God wants to do in your life and through your life? Are you living out of a scarcity or out of an abundance mindset? And ultimately, that mindset seeps down into our hearts and it says to us, what are you going to fill yourself up with? A scarcity mindset that looks only at myself and my limitations, it basically fills me up with me. And if my life is filled with nothing but me, then the only thing I'm going to do is what I'm capable of doing. But an abundance mindset with my eyes focused on God will fill me up with God's power in me, and then I'll be able to see that what is possible is not based on me, but it's based on God. Jesus talked about this in all sorts of different ways. Here's one of my favorite. It comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. Here's what Jesus said. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I talked about this a couple months ago, and I said, here's the question. Are you full of it? And as a matter of fact, the answer to that question is yes. Every single one of us is full of it. The more important question is, what am I full of? Because whatever we fill our lives with, that is what will spill over onto others. Am I full only of myself, or am I full of the love of God? Just earlier this week, I was driving all my kids to school in the morning. The big two to school, the little two to preschool. And I was almost to the the first school drop-off, just less than a block away, you know, on a little back neighborhood street. And I hear from the back seat of my car, I hear my older daughter say, Naomi, what are you doing? So immediately my ears sort of perk up, and I glance into the back of the car And I see Naomi's hands are covered with black ink. And so I quickly pull the car over to the side of the road, put it in park. I turn around and I see not only are Naomi's hands covered in ink, but Ace's hands are covered in ink. And Ace's face is covered with ink. And both of their jackets are covered with ink. Now, apparently, that morning... I had not woken up and found my life full of patience. I had not found my life full of compassion or comfort because I turned around to my kids and said something to the effect of, what are you guys doing? We've talked about this before. You don't color on your skin with markers. Who brought that marker in the car? Ah! Rough approximation of what I said. But I calmed down a little bit because I knew I had a bag of wipes in the car. So I reached over and I grabbed the bag of wipes. But then I found out that I had left them in the car overnight. And it had been like 10 degrees the night before. So I didn't have a bag of wipes. I had a frozen chunk of wipes that were completely useless. Fortunately, when I got to preschool drop-off 
And I said to the teachers, I'm so sorry. They had been filled with comfort that morning because they said, don't worry about it. We will take care of it. We can see it in moments big and small where whatever our lives are filled with spills over onto others. So let me ask you this. What spills out from the overflow of your life? Sure, maybe there are times and places where speaking stern words to your kids is necessary. Sure, maybe at times and places it happens. I'm not talking about the examples, you know, you know the, the, the one-off experiences, but what I'm talking about is looking over the whole arc of your life. If you were to take all of your sum of choices and actions and deeds, what would you say is spilling out from the overflow of your life? Are you full only of yourself and that's all that's spilling over onto others or are you full of something greater? The comfort of our God of love flowing in you and through you and out of you as well. Here's the last reason that God comforts us and that we can know he comforts us. We know he comforts us because God loves us and you always comfort those you love. We know he comforts us because God loves others and God wants us to join him, participate with him in giving the comfort he has given us. And the third reason is that God comforts us because he wants you and he wants me. He wants us to find joy. We see this in so many ways. First of all, if you really think about this idea of God, the eternal being, the creator of all things, the, the God who existed before anything was created and after anything has ever been created, that God did not have to make human beings, did not have to make this world, but rather, God chose as an expression of his love to make people with whom he could share his love. It's just one of the, very, one of the many ways we see that God is a giver. God is a giver because he created us to share love with us. God is a giver because as we celebrate on Christmas, he came down to earth to be with us. God is a giver because on earth, Jesus Christ sacrificed his life so that God could all the more be with us. And God is a giver because he sent his Holy Spirit so that his presence could be with us every moment of every day. And God didn't do this out of some sense of obligation or burden, but God did this because he wanted the joy of sharing his love with others. Jesus talked about this all the time because ultimately Jesus said, I want to come and give love to you so that you can have the same joy I have in giving love to others. In one place, Jesus said, he wants our joy to be complete. And the time he was talking about this was when he was sharing how God goes out of his way to find the lost sheep and bring him in. How God is, is, is desiring for people to be so close to him that we're like a vine uh, uh, living in a branch. God wants us to be with him so that we can live from the abundance of him. And that's for our joy. Interestingly, in this passage in 2 Corinthians, when Paul wraps up his whole introduction... Paul also says, I'm writing these words to you so that you might know joy. So, as people living in an uncomfortable world 
with incredibly uncomfortable circumstances, we long for comfort. And we can know beyond a doubt that when we seek comfort from, uh, from God, we will find it because God loves us and you always comfort those you love. It's natural. It's obvious. Because God loves others and he wants us to participate with him in giving the comfort of his love to all humanity. And God wants you to know the joy of living your life, not for yourself, but with an abundance mindset that takes everything God has given you and shares it abundantly with others. Now, there's an objection that might be coming to your mind. I know it's come to my mind. Uh, I know I've heard it and seen it in many different places. And, and here's something along the lines of how it goes. It goes, you know, Carl, that's all well and good. You know, your daughter runs up to you and she's hurt and you comfort her. Yes, obviously, people that you have a good relationship, it's obvious and natural to comfort them. But Carl, you haven't met my coworker. You haven't met crazy Uncle Bob who's going to be in my home for Christmas or who's going to be on Skype or Zoom saying inappropriate things at Christmas. You haven't met them, Carl, and you don't know how hard it is to be kind, to be comforting, to be compassionate to these people. Carl, you haven't met these people and you don't know how hard it is. And you're right. I haven't met them and I don't know. And you're right. It's a lot easier to live with this abundance mindset. It's a lot easier to live that way with some people than it is with other people. And you're right. It's natural to love people that I love and it's harder to love people that are very difficult to get along with. And here's the thing that we need to acknowledge. See, in our world, the assumption is, and often our default internally is, we love the people we care for, we, we're kind to, we're compassionate and comforting to the people that we have a good relationship with. We love the people who love us. But what God invites us to is something completely different. See, God comforts us because he loves us. But our motivation and ability to comfort others stem not from our own love, but from God's love for them. God comforts us because he loves us. But we comfort others not because we love them, but because we know that God loves them. And it turns out that for people who are seeking a little more joy in our world, I, if you read my Ultra email on Friday, I asked this opening question, who wants a little more joy in their life? And I just assume that everybody's answer to that question is, yes, I want more joy. Sign me up. I've never met somebody who's been like, oh, you know, I'm looking for a little less joy this Christmas season. I'm looking for a little more misery and bitterness and anger. I don't think anybody says that. We all want more joy. And it turns out that this abundance mindset of giving to others what God has given to us is actually the key to our joy. Because Comforting others with the comfort of God is how you find more joy in your life. Just like Jesus says, he invites you to this journey, not just to be obedient to God, not because he wants to shame you or guilt you into doing something. Jesus invites you into this journey for your joy so that your joy might be complete. 
And complete here means both to the fullest extent and also stretching to every different area of your life. This brings us now to our last part of the sermon where we ask every time, what's your move going to be? And here's what I want to invite you to consider to do. If you do want more joy in your life, if you acknowledge that God's presence is where we find the true comfort, and not just comfort in a shallow way, but that deep sense of purpose and worth in life, and if you find yourself longing to live that purpose a little more fully outwardly as well, then know this, joy comes by giving to others the comfort you get from God. And there's a simple way to live that out in your life. There's two practices for people who want more joy in their life. Those practices are invest and invite. Here's what I mean by investment. Think about it. If you're to invest in the stock market, buy some stocks, buy some bonds, buy some mutual funds, buy whatever you buy. And I were to ask you, in 20 years, what's the market going to look like? Not a single person could tell me. I mean, we could guess, we could predict, we could talk trends, but nobody actually knows. And so when we invest money, we make a choice today based on good reasons with a good sense of the future. We make a choice today and we trust that it'll work out in the future. We don't know the future, but we invest today in the hope of the future. We can't see the future, we can't define the future, but we trust it'll go somewhere. If people are willing to invest in the stock market today because they trust the future, how much more should we be willing to invest in the work God calls us to? Again, not because we know how things are going to work out or we know where things are going to go, but because we trust that God is the one who's going to work it out. I heard a pastor say recently, I do what God calls me to do, And I trust God with the consequences. I mean, think about that. Who are the relationships in your life that you feel are challenging or difficult? Or maybe not even difficult, but who are the relationships in your life today that you think, I would love for the comfort of God to be experienced by that person. I'd just love it to happen. But then when you think about that person and that relationship, that conversation, maybe your mind immediately goes to a scarcity mindset of, but they're so bitter, or but they've been hurt by the church in the past, or but they'd never uh, respond to what I do, or but they'd never this, or but that, or but that. That's a scarcity mindset. Instead, if you want more joy, here's what I encourage you to do. Whatever those people are in your life, whether the ones with hard relationships, or simply the ones you'd love to see God's comfort in their lives, look for ways that you can invest in their life today and tomorrow, and next week. An investment is not a guarantee, a knowledge of what the future is going to be. It's a choice to do now what you know is the right thing to do, and then trust God with the ultimate results in their life. And then as you're doing that, as you're looking around and you're saying, how can I take what God's given me and invest it in the lives of others? There's a second simple step. Look for a way to invite them to join you on the spiritual journey you're on. You don't have to invite them to find all the answers or skip to the end of the journey. Just invite them to join you on the journey you're already on. 
Invite them to come to the Christmas Eve service uh, next week. Invite them to come to a worship service some other time. Invite them to maybe watch a live stream with you in your living room. You know, you, you'll make them coffee. You can sit in your pajamas. It'll be super comfortable. But invite them somehow to join you on the journey. There's only two things they could do. Say no, and then you could simply continue to invest in their lives. Or they could say yes, and then you simply continue to do what you did all along. So for anybody who wants more joy in their life, from the abundance we have in our lives, given to us from God, we intentionally invest in the lives of others and invite them to walk together with us on a spiritual journey. Now here's the thing. This abundance mindset that leads to an outward-focused invest and invite sort of practice. This is one of the most radically counter-cultural ways to go about living. The fact of the matter is, um, we're talking about seeking other people's good, even at our own expense. What we're talking about and what God is calling us to do is to put others' needs ahead of ours, to put others' welfare ahead of ours, to say, I take what I have, and I'm not going to hold on to it. I'm not going to hoard it. I'm not going to pile it up, but I'm going to give it generously to others. In fact, the more common way to live life is the exact opposite, is to say, I'm going to clench my fist around what I have. I'm going to build bigger barns and and storehouses and amass more of what I've got. And if people don't like the way I'm doing it, I'm going to try to bully them to see my point of view. I mean, we're talking about being compassionate to people. But you don't have to look very far to see compassion be the opposite of, of behavior in our world. One of the places that's been maybe too often pointed out is our current political you know, situation in America, where a mean-spirited approach seems to be the norm, and some people even say it's apparently the only way to get things done. <laughs> it's interesting. Um, I was reading an author who was writing about some challenges of division in American politics, and they were talking about how in politics people really are bitter and fighting with one another. It was written a while ago, but um, let me read you these words about one author's observations about how people go about interacting with others around them. People foolishly try to increase the number of their converts by the loudness of their declamations and the bitterness of their invectives. So basically... People try to shout louder and be meaner and think they can get people to go their way. Have you ever seen that in the world around you? Does that sound familiar at all? You know when these words were written? They were written 232 years ago by Alexander Hamilton in Federalist Paper Number 1. At the founding of our nation, Hamilton bemoaned and lamented the way that a mean-spirited approach is so common in so many parts of our society. And he went on to suggest a different way, or rather suggest this isn't a good plan, when he said, For in politics, as in religion, it is equally absurd to aim at making proselytes by fire and sword, heresies in either 
can rarely be cured by persecution. Here's how I would translate that. If you know somebody that you think would benefit from the love of God, don't shout at them. Don't be mean to them. Don't persecute them and think somehow they're going to find the love of God that way. Rather, ask yourself, how has God been compassionate and comforting to me? And how can I generously give that same thing to others? Because that is how people will come to know the comfort that you know from God in your life. I was really blessed um, to get to interact with an example of this just recently. Um, A couple who's part of our church, uh, some friends of mine, called me up and they said, Carl, uh, we've been really abundantly blessed in our lives recently, uh, and specifically we've been financially blessed, and we believe that we are to be thankful to God for everything we had. And so they said, Carl, we'd love to talk to you about where we could maybe give generously to others with this abundance that we've been given. And we talked about all sorts of different things, and I kind of have the hunch they might actually be giving in a lot of different ways. But in our conversation, it came down uh, in particular to one specific opportunity. See, this couple had a real, real passion uh, for homelessness, to help people get into homes, and when people are in homes, to help them stay in homes. And we were talking about how during the last number of months around COVID, a lot of the most vulnerable people in our society have been hit economically the worst. And in Littleton, there's a lot of people who are at risk of losing their homes as they're trying to get back on their feet economically. Two of our ministry partners, Love Inc. and North Littleton Promise, have actually started a rent assistance program to help ensure some families who are connected to their ministries already can stay in their homes until they weather this economic storm. And so I presented this opportunity to the couple, and they jumped at it. And they decided to give $20,000 to help make sure families in need in Littleton can stay in their homes. And as I was wrapping up this conversation, I was just saying, you guys are so awesome. You know, I just appreciate your generosity and thanking them. They turned and they said to me, no, 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 Carl. Thank you for giving us this opportunity. And I was like, thank me? No, no, no. You guys are the ones who are being generous. You guys are the ones who are giving so abundantly. But I'm pretty sure they understood They were people that wanted joy in their life, and so they understood that the way to find joy was not to take what they'd been given and hoard it for themselves, but rather experience that true joy of abundantly giving to others. If you are interested in giving to that same uh, rent assistance program, uh, on Christmas Eve, we're going to take up a special offering, and all proceeds on Christmas Eve, 100%, will go to this partnership with Love, Inc. and North Holton Promise. Uh, you can actually give online, uh, either click rent assistance in the note, or we're going to get up in the next couple days a, a new giving category called rent assistance. But regardless, here's the thing that we want to take away. We've been talking about how God is a God of comfort. And in our suffering, he always wants to lavishly, abundantly give his comfort to us. And he does that because he loves us. And he does that so that what we receive from him, we might give abundantly to others. And he does that not because he wants to pressure us or guilt us or shame us, but because he knows 
that when we give to others as he has given to us, we will find joy. So let me ask you, would you like a little more joy in your life this Christmas season? If so, then together, let's spend our lives investing in others, inviting them to join us on a spiritual journey so that together we might find true joy. Would you pray with me? Again, God, we confess that so often we fix our eyes on ourselves. We hoard, we hold on to, we clench our fists around what we've been given in life. Soften our hearts, God. Open our hands. And as we go through this Christmas season, remind us to pray as we've already prayed this morning. God, help me comfort others with the comfort I received from you. God, help me to comfort others with the comfort I have received from you. Amen.